Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Good morning. Um, when uh, about 16, 17 years ago, uh, I um, was getting to know this girl. Her name is Jenny. Um, she's now my wife. But at the time, that wasn't the case. Um, she was just a friend. Um, I thought she was pretty. I thought she smelled pretty. I wanted her to be more than a friend. Um, but in her eyes, we were just friends. And so um, I'd kind of been working on this master plan. Um, I was playing a long game. I was like, if she spends enough time with me, she'll she'll get past the fact that I already am starting to lose my hair. And she'll, she'll get past all the other things. And she'll see me. And she's like, you know, I should spend the rest of my life with this guy. Because why not? Not, right, and so that was kind of my long game strategy. If I'm there enough, then maybe she'll just settle for me. And um, at least that was my thinking. Anyway, so on the this day that I'd planned, I'd gotten flowers and was picking her up to go to this friend's kind of uh, party. And um, as I was taking her back to her dorm, and uh, I like, we're about to get out of the car, and I said, I have uh, one thing to tell you before you get out of the car. And she was like, yeah, what? And I said, um, so I got you these flowers because I really, really like you. And I think that we can have something. And I did it. And I just kind of start to verbally vomit. And I kind of let it all fly out. And then I stop. And I'm, you know, sweating. And she's like, I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> and then for 45 minutes, she didn't say a word. And she sat in my car. And I didn't feel like it was probably appropriate after I told her I liked her to tell her to get out of my car. Probably not the best step two in this process. So I sit there for 45 minutes. And, you know, I'm sure she said other things after that because um, eventually we got married and now we have two kids. So things have worked out and I won and um, my plan worked. Right. And so I'm really grateful for my plan because I did marry up and she is beautiful and charming and sweet and marvelous. And um, but she probably after some of that said, I like you, too. But I don't remember any of that. You know what I remember? I remember her looking at me and saying, I feel like I'm going to throw up. It's amazing. Like, I can almost take you back to the day, October, right, 13th, 2013. I can take you back to the moment. And the, the way she said the words, I think I'm going to throw up. And have you ever noticed, like, somehow words just transcend time. It's like they can, they stick, they stay, they never go away. And how even though I'm almost two decades removed from that moment, Right in the next few years, like it's still very vivid in my head. And it's because words have that kind of power. Words have that kind of ability. Some of us walked into this room and we're still carrying words that were said over us, words that still echo inside of our heads from decades ago. And the course of this series, our goal really is to, to really introduce us to a new way of using our words. Because I'm convinced the most powerful thing you and I will do today is talk. It may be the thing we do the most, but that is also the scariest thing because it's also the most powerful thing we do. And that the words that come out of our mouth, rarely ever do we reflect, rarely ever do we look back. 
we, we know that they have some kind of power in our life, but for most of us, we've never kind of sat down and began to work through and reimagine what they could actually be used for. And the goal of this series really is to kind of sit, take a step back from words and say, okay, what could words be used for? And this message kind of in the, the next two weeks, actually, what I want to process through with you is both very profound in sense of today's first step and then very practical Next week, we'll change your relationships. I can say that because I'm not creating the content. Next week is going to be powerful, very practical. And so this message really is split into two parts. It's like a, a season cliffhanger of a sort, right? Um, and because what I believe can happen is one sentence that we're going to look at today has the power to change how we talk for good, for good. And that sentence is written by a man even though it was thousands of years ago, it was written by a man who personally had experienced the power, the transformation, and the practicality of what we're going to talk about today. He was a man who had lived one life and had seen his life completely flipped upside down, and it transformed how he walked. It transformed how he talked. And he writes this sentence in this letter to a, a group of people because he wants them to understand, hey, this thing called the Christian faith really is, um, it transforms everything. And so he writes this letter to a group of people. They, they're living in Ephesus. And Ephesus is a pretty wealthy ancient city. Um, if Boston and Las Vegas um, became one big metro city, if you kind of combine those two cities together, you would have Ephesus, culturally speaking. It's a, kind of an interesting place. It's really influential, very intellectual, um, but also has all the trappings of what you would imagine with Las Vegas, and they're mashed into one place. And so these people had experienced a lot of different things, had kind of had a lot of different thoughts about a lot of things in life, but Paul comes along and says there, there's a completely new way of doing everything. And, and so he turns to words in the sentence that we're about to read. And there's something you should probably know. Christianity, of, of all the kind of world religions, has a really significant emphasis on the power of words. It inherits it from its kind of Jewish roots. And the fact that the very first act that you see in the Bible, the very first thing God does is he talks. And that emphasis on talking, the emphasis on words carries through. One of Jesus' names, kind of in theological literature that you find in the New Testament, is the living word. That's, he's called the word. And this idea of the word has power. And so Christianity puts a lot of emphasis on it. And Paul puts a lot of focus on how we should talk and what our words should look like. So that's, that's why as you're kind of working through this morning and into next week, um, you'll, you'll see that, man, this Christian faith has a lot to say about the way we say things. And it's because of that, that root of the very first thing God does is he talks. And it's one of the most distinct things about us as humans, right? I mean, we've never walked through a zoo and saw a chihuahua or chinchilla or a chimpanzee talking to another one saying, did you hear what they said about me? Or she, she said, I had stubby arms and I wasn't going to be able to climb that tree. Like you've never walked in and seen your cats dialoguing about last night and a conversation that was had. It's a very unique thing that we do called talking. And it's rooted in, I believe, being made and stamped in that divine image that God created us with. 
So if you have the Encounter Church app I referenced earlier, um, you'll find in the message notes, I've already put the sentence in. If not, you'll see it on the screen behind me. But here's the sentence. Paul writes almost 2,000 years ago these words, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. That's a short sentence, but man, it is loaded. He says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Even without digging into it yet, you can automatically see on the get-go that like Paul has two different ways. He's like, there's, there's this one way and there's this other way. The unwholesome way and the helpful way. And he starts his whole conversation around talking by framing it with two alternate paths that we can choose from. And the reason he does that is he, if you notice, he's almost leading out with do not do this. That's his starting point in the sentence. Stop doing this. Don't do this unwholesome talk. And why? It's because there's a default, Paul says. There is a default to how you and I talk. It's how we came into this world. If you've ever spent time with kids, you've probably picked up on that default pretty quickly. Right? This summer, I was um, speaking at a church, and we we're going to it was going to require me to fly. And so um, my family was coming with me. And so we were walking onto the airplane. And I have a seven-year-old little girl who looks up the stewards and she's like, hello, sweetie. And um, my daughter Ella is like, hello, um, we have a mouse in our house. So we had to leave. And I'm like, huh? I'm like, yes, we're dirty people. We're going to our seat now, right? I'm like, I, I want to explain. We have, I haven't seen a mouse in 10 years. We're really clean people. No, no, no. I can't say any of that. I just say, we're dirty people. Let's go. Right? And, and Ella's like, what? What's wrong? Why, why, why does your face look like that? I'm like, you just told these people that we're basically hoarding the bubonic plague at our household, sweetheart. I mean, like, that's an inside family discussion, right? Like, you want to be like, come on, crowd that thing in. But, like, that's the default. The default is whatever's up here comes out of here. That's what you do. You just say it. You think in it, you say it, right? And that's what, that's how we come into this world. And Paul says, hey, look, I know you've got a default. I know that there's a way that you typically roll, but this default is not the way it's going to go. That this new way that I want to talk to you about looks different from that. And he begins to unpack. He uses the word unwholesome and he uses the word helpful, which for us maybe disconnected by 2,000 years and separate from the language of his day, can, we can kind of miss some of the nuance. Unwholesome doesn't mean the words that would cause you to put a dollar in the swear jar. Unwholesome is far bigger and broader than that. The word unwholesome actually means corrupting, rotting, decaying. Um, it's a word that would be put in front of fruit that was decaying. And so if you were going to call rotten fruit, you would use that word unwholesome that he's using. If you were walking by a fish market and the fish were beginning to rot, you would use this word unwholesome to, to kind of describe the smell and what was happening. If you were an, an architect or a builder, you would use this word around stone to talk about stone that's crumbling and beginning to decay and is no longer structurally sound. Like this, this word has a lot of nuance to it. So he's not just talking about curse words. He's, just, he's not just talking about put downs. He's talking about any word that, that tears down in any way. Any word that removes and rots, decays, corrupts, or weakens a relationship or a person. 
That's what he means when he says no unwholesome. And the word helpful is the word for good. It's this really deep philosophical and theological term in his day. This, this word is a really elevated word. And then he couples that good, this very profound idea of like everything that's beautiful and true and noble and worthy and whole. He couples it with the word only what is helpful. And helpful is actually a compound word for building up. He used that building up. That's a compound word that means like house and roof. It's like he's, he's almost wanting us to visually realize that when we talk, we have the power to construct or to destroy. We can build up. We can tear down. And that our words have that kind of power. Which, in some ways, I don't have to convince you of that when you take a step back and you recall words of your life. Because all of us have those words over our lives that we still remember. We've all tasted the power of words, both good and bad. We've probably remember growing up and hearing the phrase, why can't you be more like your brother? Or that day when they looked at you and says, I, I don't think I love you anymore. Or that powerful, liberating phrase of, I forgive you. Or that beautiful girl who, after she said, I'm about to throw up, just months later, would look at me and say, I love you. That words mark us. They, they echo beyond the moment. They can damage or they can develop. They can hurt. They can help. They can corrupt or they can construct. They can bring peace or they can be the reason you fall to pieces. But the thing is, is, they stay and they never go away. And Paul was wanting to elevate the power that words have. And he wanted to elevate their responsibility around that power. And so he's saying to them, look, there's these two paths. And then what does he say? After he says unwholesome, but you're, don't, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. But only what is helpful for building up. He's, he's not just teaching them, instructing. Now he's starting to push something towards them. He's making them aware that they have a responsibility there. You see, one of the most liberating things that Paul is, is implicit in Paul's command here is that you and I have a choice how we use our voice. Knowing what we know about words, knowing that these words can fall into two different camps, you and I have a choice how we're going to use our voice. And for some of us, that may be a liberating thing because quite honestly, we've, we've operated in the default for so long that we're like, well, I was thinking it, so I had to say it. Or I had to give them a piece of my mind. Or I had to let them know. I had to get it off my chest. And the reality is you, is you don't. You actually have a choice how you're going to use your voice. You're in the driver's seat. You're not a victim of your voice. You're the enabler of it. So the hard things that are said, the hurtful things that are said, the things that bounced around your head and then flew out your mouth, they don't have to anymore. Paul's like, there's a new and a different way. And that's liberating. Because relationships rise or fall on how we use our words. You, I've, I've never, ever sat down with a couple who's been married for 60 years. And I'm like, tell me your secrets. And it's like, oh, it was really the constant little zingers and put downs that he said for the last 50 years. That really is what helped us get through. <laughs> right? No, no, no. None of you as adults would say, oh, you know what? I really, when I think back, I really loved the verbal lashing that my parents gave me. 
That really, it built character while it completely decayed me as an individual, right? Like, we all know words hurt. And the fact that you and I can step back in the driver's seat, the implications goes everywhere. It can transform your relationships. It can transform your work. It can transform your parenting. Because the vessel for almost all of the influence and change and power comes through the words you use in those things every single day. And part of Paul's desire is to wake us up that just because you use thousands of them a day does not mean that you're not just casually throwing grenades. Because you are. Because it has power. But then Paul does something that I think is really quite terrifying in this sentence. So it's one thing to realize I have a choice how I'm going to use my voice. It's another thing altogether when you realize that he's saying, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? So that gate, he said, okay, I got that. I've got a gate and I can control which thing I let fly out of it. Okay, that's good, Paul. But then Paul's like, no, no, no. You're only supposed to say what is helpful for building up others according to their needs. So he's saying, it's not just, you're not just responsible for what comes out of this thing. You're actually responsible for the outcome of it too. That, that is a whole different level. It's one thing to be responsible and recognize I have a choice for what I do with this voice. It's another thing altogether when I realize that it's not just what's coming out of my mouth, but it's the outcome of it too that I'm responsible for. He says we're responsible to build up others according to what? Our needs, what we want? No, their needs. Their needs is a little a bit of a nuancey loaded. Paul picks words in this thing that are like loaded terms. And, and it's really like the who, what, when, where, and how. It's like it's all about them. All about what they need to be able to develop and grow. It's completely centered on them. And Paul's saying, look, we have a responsibility it's no longer about what I feel like I need to say. It's I say what they need to hear, which is different. It's no longer about me just getting something off of my chest. It's what's going to be best for them. Way different. Way heavier responsibility. That it's not about me feeling good. It's about me doing good with my words. Is my responsibility. How it lands on them is actually to affect what I choose to say, what, what they need to hear. The how is going to be determined by their need. And this, I think, is probably one of the most radical parts about Paul's teaching. It's like, look, words have a purpose. They were intended to build up. And so make sure you're using them on purpose because you're responsible for the damage that the hammer causes when you throw it out your mouth. Which I think transforms our conversations altogether because isn't it a free pass when we're like, well, I didn't mean it that way. Like, that's your problem. I just had to say it. Now, the fact that it's, you know, like you're reacting, that's on you. I just needed to tell you that you're a jerk. And I just needed to remind you that you're just like your mother-in-law. That, the, how, you re, how you respond to that, that's, that's you. That's not me. And Paul's like, no time out. That's all on you. Because when you let a word out, you're letting it out on purpose. And the purpose should be to build up according to their needs. Because these words have power. I came across a study. It's actually a whole long, 
long journey of studies that I won't even get into because I'm way too nerdy for that. Um, in this moment, you don't, you're probably not wanting all that. But um, recently came across some research that uh, MIT, Harvard um, grad student was working on. And what they were doing is they were, they were following um, babies into almost kindergarten. So they were kind of um, monitoring the kids in their early years of life. And what they were doing is they'd noticed, based on some kind of older research that had been kind of refined, that that the more words that a kid was exposed to, the more impact it had on their life. But what they kind of, as the researchers have dug into this finding, what they've really found that's interesting is that it's not just that a kid grows up in a house where a bunch of words are being said. It's that the kids who are growing up in a house where they're being engaged conversationally, it makes a difference in them academically. And that, that on one level, right, is just kind of common sense. You'd say, oh, yeah, I would agree with that. That makes sense. But what was fascinating to me is that they were taking these kids who were going through this study and they were putting them in, like, functional MRI machines so they could actually see how their brains were working real time. And they'd noticed that the kids who were getting constructive, enabling, um, engaging conversation, even from early on in life, even when they couldn't respond back, but the parents were treating them like they could, that their brains were better and more developed than their peers who hadn't been exposed to it. It was literally the words parents were speaking out of their mouth was actually shaping the forming of these little kids' brains. Their brains looked different because the words in their house were different. And if that's what happens to us at a neurological level early into life, I can't imagine what it happens when you play it out over the course of your entire life. Because words really do have incredible shaping power. They call us to step up and step out. They can cause us to soar or they can cause us to sink. And that for us to go into this week reimagining how we could use our words to be able to speak life and to lift up. And, and look, I, and, and all of this, I'm not saying that you should only say positive things. I'm not getting in that stupid criticism sandwich that you maybe got taught at some point. Oh, if you're going to criticize, you should make an opinion sandwich where you compliment, you criticize, and you compliment, and then you serve it to them. Like, that's dumb. I'm not saying that. Okay? I'm not saying only positivity. No. It's about what do they need. So sometimes hard things have to be said. But it's the reason you say the hard things that's the important piece. You're saying the hard things because they need to hear it for their good, not so that you'll feel good and get it off your chest. And that's different. Right? As parents, we're supposed to discipline, not out of irritation or frustration, but we're supposed to discipline for instruction. Right? I discipline my daughter and one day my son so that he will adult better when he gets out of the house. Right? But it's so easy, isn't it, to fall into the trap when they say things to you or your teenager looks at you and says, so what? Or rolls their little beady eyes at you. And it's just easy to feel the frustration kind of well up on the inside. And you want to bring down a hammer, fi figuratively or literally, and you just want to like enact justice and teach them a lesson. Now, the lesson's not going to prepare them for adulthood. The lesson is, I am the authority and you just bumped up against it. And so I'm going to squash you down. But the goal... For our words, even as parents, is meant to develop and to instruct. And so sometimes, yes, we say hard things. But the reason we say them is not out of personal anger. The reason we say them is not out of being hurt. It's to actually help develop them. Because one day we know they're going to be adults. And that doesn't fly in the adult world. And they need to be ready for it. I mean, when I was dating um, Jenny, 
you know, she says yes, and we're starting to progress. And about three to six months into it, um, I, I was very immature. And um, I remember very vividly, we're sitting outside of a coffee shop after um, a date one night, and she says, I need to say something to you. And um, my wife's so sweet, and she's like typically kind of conflict avoidant. So I'm like, yeah, oh, sure. She's like, look, I like you. I'm like, sweet. She's like, but here's the deal. Like, I, I could even see myself maybe one day wanting to marry you. But the reality is, I, I need a man. And the way you've been acting, you're a boy. And I like this, but if this is going to work, you've got to grow up. If we're going to be able to grow up together. And I was like, <laughs> right? I mean, that hurt. And three days later, when I got out of the fetal position, I was different because she'd called me out on it. And I had realized I was an immature, self-centered brat. I was childish. And that what this girl deserved was a man. So the next time I showed up, I'm like, your man is reporting. Here I am, girl. I got out my fetal position and I am ready. Man it up. It changed me. It helped me. And the reality is, is that you can say hard things or you can say things that are going to be kind and gentle, but the goal for all of it is for their needs. So we don't flippantly compliment. We don't give fluffy words that mean nothing. We're not, oh, that was a great job. If it was a horrible job, do not tell them great job. Look, that's why those people end up on television shows trying to sing when they can't. It's because the mama lied to them their entire life telling them they could sing. I'm not talking about that either. It's words that are there for their good and their needs. That's the type of words that we're meant to give. And next week, maybe you're like, okay, I'm in. How do I do it? Next week, you want to come back. Because next week, it's going to be a completely different type of message. And I'm going to walk you through understanding the people you live with, the kids that you're raising, the coworkers you have. It's a very simple color concept that I want to teach you that can help you know how to talk and respond based on their needs. And in the course of our time together, I think it'll begin to click for you in a way that can actually transform how you practically begin to talk. Because... Um, you've probably realized that your needs are not their needs. Who you are is not who they are. And we tend, as a default, to communicate in a way that we would want to be communicated to. And so a very simple hack to get you through this week as you begin to um, kind of process through this is just pay attention to those people in your life. How do they talk to you? How do they respond? What is it that they say and don't say? And take a cue. Copy them. Because we tend to want to, we tend to want to be communicated to in the way that we communicate. And so that's a simple kind of limp you through the week until we come back next week and unpack this at a bigger level. Because what I want to do now is press in even further what Paul is saying. Paul concludes this whole sentence by uh, making the statement that it may benefit those who listen. So why is he saying according to their needs? He's already said be helpful. He's already saying build up. But then he adds this additional statement, that it may benefit those who listen. What he's doing is that it can easily be missed at the English level that we have 2,000 years later, as Paul is actually using the same word um, that is found in the other New Testament letters for the word grace. He's like, so that it may give grace to those who listen. 
Paul is taking us back to the divine origin and the power of our words. He's taking us back to the, the centerpiece of why our words make a difference in the first place. It's because they're rooted in the God who spoke and created. It's a God who we call the living word. Like He's taking us back to that kind of source of all the strength and the power that our words have. And that the reason our words can outlive us is because they're rooted in that ancient power source. Your words, there are people who've said things to you who are no longer here with you, and yet their words still reverberate inside of you. Their words outlive them. My, um, this Father's Day, my little girl kind of said, hey, and she's, she likes making things. So she's like, Daddy, I made you a bracelet for Father's Day. And um, I don't even care that it's bright pink and that it's glitter-filled, right? Um, You can't see this, but let me kind of tell you how this priceless piece of jewelry works. Um, There's the word dad, okay? So that's an easy one. But the trick is that there are actually all of these, like, icons, like little emojis around the bracelet. And each emoji has a secret message tied to it. So she picked each one of these to, to say something so that every time I look at it, I get the secret message that she sent for me. Okay, And we don't have time to walk you through all the secret messages. But what was interesting um, is that there are like two little pieces. I'll just point out. One is there's like a lollipop because I'm sweet, right? It's like, oh. Um, and then, but then there's this microphone. And it's because ever since she was a baby, she's heard me sing over her. And the words that I sing, um, you know, there's only two songs that she's ever heard me sing over her at night. One's Jason Mraz's I Won't Give Up. And the other one is an Adele Garth Brooks song, um, To Make You Feel My Love. Both of them have this kind of central theme, right? Um, and it's, and it really is about this, like, uh, the heart of both is that, girl, there is nowhere you can go. There is nothing you can do. There is no words that you can say. There is no actions that you can choose that can go beyond the scope and the depth and the breadth of my love for you. You can't outrun my love. You can't outlast my love. My love is there, period. I chose to love you long before you even had a choice of whether or not I was or was not going to love you, period. And what's interesting is that my little girl has grown up in her entire life. She's heard, I won't give up on us, even if the, you know, she's heard me say, when the wind is blowing in your face, right? And it's like both these great songs that say, I'm here for you and the whole world is on your case. I will offer you a warm embrace to make you feel my love, right? And so she knows. And so as a seven-year-old, when she's trying to think, okay, what is my dad like? Who, how do I sum up my dad for me? She picks the microphone because that's what comes to mind is that the words he has said over me are those words. Now, the reason that that's specifically meaningful, the reason I chose to do it at the very get-go is that it's the exact opposite of what I experienced growing up. That when I was younger, what I discovered was that my father had walked out before I was ever born, that I I wasn't really worth it to him. A career was better than a child. And so this reality of words that were never said, but words that that were still heard, words that you were not enough, words that you were not wanted, those words stayed over me. Those words echoed inside of me. A man who I have never met to this day made some of the loudest statements about me 
the very first day I stepped into planet Earth. And that for decades, his words have haunted me. And that when my little girl was born and then when my son was born, I was so, so committed to making sure that those words never, ever echo inside of their mind. Because I know what it's like to limp through life hearing the phrase, I'm not enough. I know what it's like to feel the power of words that were never even said, but they were still heard. I know the power of those kind of words. That even into my 30s, they continued to plague me. Specifically the phrase, I'm not enough, because I wasn't enough for him. And so I remember this opportunity where... um, years ago when I was interviewing for a job and, and it was, it was like a really incredible speaking opportunity. And, um, so I was going to be speaking to like 5,000 people. So I get up and I speak and they're interviewing me to become a kind of a teaching pastor, a person who would do this regularly. And I get up and I speak like five times over the course of that weekend. And I don't even know how many thousands of people I talked to. And it was like, man, this is like amazing. And then I'll get off the stage, and the pastor's driving me um, to the airport. And he says, "Um, hey, buddy, it's not enough. I I needed you to be an A, and you were a B. All right, we're here. And I get on the airplane. And for two years after that conversation, I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to talk on a stage. I determined and decided I just shouldn't even do this because clearly I'm not enough. What God's been doing over in my life, even over this last year, is like every painful moment I can point to are typically the painful moments in my life where I'm not enough gets stirred up. When we walked through our infertility and I was the reason, it was the infertility was painful. Realizing I wasn't enough was almost crippling. Why? Because those words, those words had never been said, but they had been heard. I'm not enough. Just kept reverberating inside of my soul. And that one of the beautiful, powerful things, even in how I've started parenting Henry, who's my son, is I've seen the power of words begin to transform me on the other side. See, I grew up in a household with an incredible mom who's probably watching right now because that's how awesome she is. Um, But I didn't have any significant man in my life until I was 21 years old. I had no genuine love felt like male in my life who said the words, I love you, until I was around 21 years old. And and the, the first guy who really stepped in my life who said that to me It was so transformative that I named my son after him. And that even though he's not here today because he passed away about seven years ago of cancer, every time I hold Henry, I'm reminded of all the words that he said over me when he didn't have to. And I feel them wash over me. But the deeper reality is it's been interesting. With my son, I sing over him too. But the, the song that I sing over Henry is different than the song I sing over Ella. Because what God has been doing over and inside of me has been radically different. The song I sing over my son, the song, actually the only song that he's heard the entire time, is the song called Reckless Love. 
And it goes like, there is no mountain you, right? I won't climb up. He, he, it's this song, it's this declaration. There's, right, I kick down the walls. I bust through. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You've been so, so good to me. But the beauty is those aren't the words from me to him. See, the thing that I believe gives us the most security and stability, the words that are the most powerful and transforming are not the words of the lowercase father to his daughter or to his son. It's the capital F father to him. That I want him to know desperately, deeply, before he took a breath, you breathe your life in me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. For him to know those words have been said over him. That before he drew a breath, there was someone bigger and greater than his dad who was already singing over him, who was already breathing life in him. And then I just want to give you the space to recognize that I know some of you walked in today and the words that you walked in that still reverberate inside of your head, maybe the person didn't even realize the way it hit you. Maybe you haven't even processed through all what it means. But I know for some of us, you're like me and that echo of I'm not enough sometimes creeps into you and your life, your relationships. Maybe it wasn't, I'm not enough. Maybe it's your fat. Maybe it's your loser. Maybe it's your dumb. Maybe it's your stupid. Maybe it's your failure. I don't know what those words are. That you're unloved or that you're unwanted or that you're wasted and you're, you don't deserve it or you're not worth it. But that those words that were said over your head still reverberate with inside of your head. And that you and I walk with chains that point us to the power that words have over us. And that my desire for you and desire for me and even in the song that I sing to my son is that you would find that there is a key, there is a chain breaker, there is a mountain mover, there is a resurrecting God who has spoken better words over you. Look, here's the beauty of the Christian faith is maybe you've heard some words But the Christian faith says that those don't have to be the final word about you. Maybe hard words were said to you, but those don't have to be the final word for you. There's a better word, the living word. And what he said about you is that you were loved, that you were wanted, that he pursued you. He chased after you the reckless love of God, that there's no mountain, there's no river, there's no valley, there's nothing that would separate you from him. And that for us today, maybe your takeaway isn't the words that you need to say this week, but that maybe the fact is that you need to start dealing with the words inside your head because they're, they're the ones messing up the words coming out of your mouth. And my challenge for you is that you would tune in to those phrases, that you wouldn't just quit listening to them, but that you would tune in and then you would talk back. Tune in talk back. I'm not enough. That's okay. You know what? I'm not enough is true. But you know what? The I am is enough. So that's true too. And that's bigger. That's truer than that other thing that I'm not enough. Tune in and talk back. And in order to facilitate that, 
in order to move into next week where we get super practical, is I didn't want to skip over this part. I recognize for some of us we carried words in today. Is I want to give you a chance to hear words sung back to you. I want to give you the experience of what God is saying over you. And that our band's going to lead us in this song, a song that for some of you have probably heard before, for some of you maybe you've not. But it's a song that's, that centers on the words that God has said about you. That the words in your head and the words coming out of your head were meant to be used for good. They were meant to shape and to form and to bring life. And that if we recognize that we have a choice and we begin to leverage that voice for good, then we will see our life change. The lives of those around us and the life inside of us. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.